Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So it is finally happened. I was uh, a little nervous that it was, <laughs> it was, it was that today this day would never come, but WWDC 2022 has been announced. Yep. Which is very exciting. Um, I was starting to get, I think the previous years it had been announced in kind of early-ish March or mid-March and then late March, but like now this was announced uh, beginning of April and so I was getting a little nervous. Um, and so I'm very, A, I'm very glad that it was finally announced just because, I don't know, this is probably just the reality for being an iOS developer, but summer plans are always complicated for us because I you know, want to go on vacation with my family. I want to do things. I want to plan things. But until I know when WDC is, I can't really make commitments for essentially June and July are just like complete write-offs for my, my calendar until I can know when WDC is going to slot in there. Because the reality is it's a week that I'm dedicating to being an Apple developer first, you know, sort of other commitments because we'll start to be, you know, it's, it's, it's not a week that I'm going to intentionally go on vacation for because it's kind of an important week. So that's, I was very excited and glad to finally be able to, you know, sort of take a pen out right on, right on our paper calendar that this is WGC week. I can set it aside. I can, uh, and, and now I can start to make plans for the rest of the summer. So very exciting, both just that it exists and also, you know, the, the general form of what it will look like and so on. Yeah, I, I found this, this announcement to be very good news because, you know, as listeners know, I am a big fan of the remote conference. And I think overall it is better and it serves more people way better than the old format did. Um, and so I'm a huge fan of what they are doing. Um, the the watch party thing is interesting. I'll get to that. But, but otherwise, um, yeah, like having the conference be effectively fully remote again for almost everybody. Um, and, and therefore having it being produced in that way, um, you know, made for that, optimized for that, that is all very good news to me. And so I'm, I'm very happy with this. I'm glad they decided to do this. And, you know, as again, as listeners probably know by now, I'm a big fan of them keeping it and in this format in, in the future, even after in-person events become a little bit easier and, and more responsible to hold. Um, I, I still like this format better. Uh, I, I really do. I, I think, you know, the old format really priced out so many people and such a large percentage of the developer base and even among those who were willing and able to spend the money to to go to the in-person conference very little of it was available like you know very very few tickets were available relative to the demand and so this this new format is just is so much more um, inclusive and so much better fit to the modern world that we live in and not not talking about covid just like the modern world of massive uh, demand for this conference that you know can only hold a few thousand people in practice uh, when it's held in person so i'm very happy with this decision they've made to keep it this way and uh you know as for the the in-person viewing party component uh which we don't really know a lot about yet um but i think it's interesting because you know they 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 said that you know they're going to have uh, basically a small gathering of some subset of students and other interested parties who will be able to gather somewhere on the Apple campus and and watch the event uh quote live but it's it, they're watching the video being played live uh, it's not because it, it's not being produced it's not being produced live it's being pre-recorded um so basically a viewing party and presumably some kind of you know meet and greet with some people at Apple or something you know some kind of component there but what's interesting is that the in-person component there is seemingly not including things like labs where Normally, the value of being in person is, you know, part 
obviously socialization and meeting other developers and everything that's a big part um but also a big part of being in person is having access to things like labs where that's that's harder to do remotely although now they have been doing that remotely and so i think it's interesting like the in-person component now seems purely social uh or you know purely for like the value of the event and i'm curious you know what what the appeal of that is obviously if you're local and it's it's not super hard to get there and you don't have to like stay in an expensive hotel obviously that's a very different uh calculus but you know for people like like me and you dave you know we we would have to if we wanted to go to the in-person thing and if we could even get tickets which is its own thing um but you know we would have to fly out to california which you know is is significant for both of us but especially for you because you're much further away um and you know stay in the expensive hotels and you know figure out transportation and everything that's all you know it's it's a lot of logistics a lot a lot of travel um and so for me i'm not going to try i've already decided you know that this year for this for this in-person thing like i'm i'm not going to go um if i get if if i happen to get like a press invitation i i might consider it but even that i think would be a tough sell just because of the logistics involved um and and you know for the for the you know risk reward calculation here i think it's a little bit tricky but i'm curious what do you think like are you going to try to go to the in-person thing and try to get a ticket uh yes this is the short answer to that but i think the broader answer is a i think i'm 100 with you that i think it is I'm I'm excited and i think it's the right path for apple to have a online first WBDC, that it is a week that is optimized around the online experience, around the experience that can scale both in terms of the number of people and in terms of to the broadest audience of users and in, honestly to the highest quality that the last few years WWC online has been just really good. And it's it, I, that's coming from an experience of, a, you know, I've been to every WGC since 2009. Like I, I know what WGC can be. It's some of those, some years have been great. Some years have been a bit mixed, but the last two years, I think from a communicating what's new for uh, inclusivity for lots of reasons, I think it's just been great. But I am also really kind of glad and excited to see that they're starting to dip their toe into having it be a hybrid event, having it to be an event for which there is some in-person component. And in, in a weird way, what makes me think of is the same for the same reason that they have uh you know, press coming on site for a press event in previous years, that there is something different about being in person than just watching a video online. That this, and this is, you know, it's the same reason that it's different to go and watch a concert, you know, of your favorite band versus just sitting at home and listening to their music. Um, there is something different just about that experience and about the excitement, about the energy, about your ability to pick up on, um, nuance and sort of gauging the people you interact with that if there's a meet and greet or what Apple's talking about or the things that other developers around you are interested in, that there's something unique about that. And what, and I don't know if this is exactly where Apple is going with this, but what intrigued me about when they said that they're having a special day for developers and students is in the same way that some press goes on site in past years for Apple events, that I think there is something potentially that Apple is doing here of trying to get developers there to talk to about what they're excited about doing, what they're coming for this coming year. And essentially it's developer press that it isn't press in the sense of like people who are writing for, for newspapers. But I think about, you know, the communicators, uh, people who are in our community who talk about what they're doing, who talk about the thing. I think about, you know, like, uh, 
Paul Hudson or some of the other kind of people who are educators in, in this area, like getting them on site and being able to talk to them and about getting them jazzed and excited about what's coming makes a lot of sense. And as someone who does a fair bit of, you know, it's like what I'm doing right now in some ways is developer communication. Um, I would be excited to go on, to go in person, to be able to kind of, and while it's the same content, it's a different context. And I think that context would be interesting and useful. And so I would certainly try. It's like, I have no idea if I would be able to get a ticket. I have no idea what the criteria for that is going to be, if it's just going to be a lottery, if it's going to be some kind of selection criteria. But the reality is, is if I was invited, I would absolutely go and I would be, you know, super excited to go. And I think, too, there's a second part of that, that in addition to, I think, it being a useful thing to really get the full, sort of the full flavor of what uh, this this year's announcements are all about. um, I think there's also an element that's just like, I'm all in on Apple developing. Like, that's my career, you know, for, I've been doing this for a long time. And it's something that I've, you know, for you, I've dabbled with other platforms. I've dabbled with other things, but I'm an iOS developer with a little bit of watchOS in there whenever I can, can squeeze it in. And like, that's what I do. And I want to, I'm all in on that as a career path. And so I want to sort of like anything Apple is offering on the developer side, I want to take advantage. I want to do anything I can to educate myself, to motivate myself honestly, which is a small part of it too, that like there was something super motivating about in-person WWDC that as as much as it was lovely on the online years to get the videos, be able to scrub them back and forth, do all the things, it is not the same energy as walking out of a keynote um, in the Presidio. And obviously it is a different thing, you know, if we're watching a video and it's not quite the same, it's not like there's Steve Jobs on the stage. Wow. It's a different thing, but I imagine there's a different level of motivation and excitement. And I would I would love that if it was possible. And I think it's like, because I'm all in on this platform, it's like, if they're offering, I will say yes. And I will try. And if it doesn't work out, no problem. I am perfectly happy to do another year of online uh, WWDC. But like, if there's an opportunity, I am going to try to do, you know, do whatever I can to to take advantage of it. Hmm. That's, I, you know, I didn't think about that angle of it, about, you know, the motivation and, and you know, the, like that's, that is that is a pretty good point. Um, I, I, it's not a good enough point for me to want to try sure. to do it this year. Um, but you are right, though. Like, like I always have been very jazzed. Like every time I would go to the conference and I would, you know, I, I'd see the sessions, I, I'd see the, you know, the big State of the Union and everything. I'd be like, oh my god, I, I can't wait to jump in. I, you know, sometimes I would, you know, I download the betas that afternoon and start start trying to get stuff going. Like right, you know, during lunch as we're eating the box lunch and everything. So, I, yeah, I, I guess in practice, uh, I you are right that the there there is a lot more value in person than I initially thought. Um, and I think it's definitely going to be a year that I think it's what you like the, the perspective of someone who says, hmm, maybe not this year. I totally respect that. And I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think for all of us, we're going to have to be finding this line and this this year. And then it's like if they keep doing the same kind of thing and potentially WBC becomes one day in person and the rest online, like over you know, if that sort of expands in scope and style, like I could see everyone's year having to sort of recal- recalibrate themselves about what makes sense for them. But it's like for me, for this year, I'm all, it's like I'm in, but I totally respect anyone whose sort of choice is like, hey, maybe not this year. You know, it, it, you're not quite there yet. Yeah, maybe. 
Well, we are brought to you this time by SourceGraph. These days, every company needs to be a tech company because there's so much code to deal with. It's hard to have any kind of online presence or digital service without copious amounts of code. And code affects everyone. It's the foundation of the technology we use every day. But handling big code bases can be tricky, especially when you think about the volume and variety of code. So thankfully, SourceGraph is here to solve all your company's code-related headaches. They're tackling big code. More than ever, companies need resources to increase developer velocity, to give people what they need to be agile, innovative, and productive. With SourceGraph, developers can find and fix security vulnerabilities, stay on top of technical debt, onboard new developers faster, and so much more. SourceGraph is the future of how companies are built, and it's powering the infrastructure of today's most successful high-growth businesses, including three out of five of the top tech companies. SourceGraph's current customers include PayPal, Uber, Plaid, Reddit, Atlassian, and so many more. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use SourceGraph and to see what it can do for yours. Our thanks to SourceGraph for their support of this show and Relay FM. So our next kind of uh, sort of we have a couple of mini topics I think to to talk about, and this first one's coming out from an, an interaction that you and I had um, regarding the launch of the big Overcast redesign. And specifically, I was asked you had, there were some some server side sort of load issues that you were uh, ha- sort of having to navigate as part of this because as part of the new redesign. If we, Anytime someone, as soon as someone installed the new redesign, it had to make a call. I think it was to save the colors that they had set for their playlists or something. And so that there's. Yeah, like it it was, it was like on on first launch of the new version, every copy out there was going to generate playlist colors and then have have to sync those to the server. And so I was very concerned with this new launch that as that update rolled out to everybody, that it would would just overrun my servers with with sync requests. Yeah. And so, which to which I was like, well, did you use the. the option to you know to do the slow rollout in in App Store Connect and and you said that you hadn't because you were concerned that uh you, you know you were hoping for and expecting a, a, a fair variety of uh, press for this and so you wanted to make sure that you know people were if they saw you know they read the article on the Verge that says hey there's this great new update and they go and download the update you want to make sure that they could actually see the update and not just be getting the old version right um which was interesting to me because this is a, a recent discovery of my own was that that's not something we actually have to worry about. Um, and specifically this was just, I've, because this is coming mostly from my experience with AB testing recently that I have a much deeper kind of understanding of the way that the slow rollout inside of App Store Connect works. Um, and so it's just like, I, I shared something with you that I think was a surprise to you. And so it seemed like a good place to share it on the show. Um, and essentially it's this, it, that, in App Store Connect, when we do an app, an app update and we choose to release it, we can release it all at once, or we can choose to do the slow rollout. And this works essentially by every day, it increases an increasing percentage of your users will be offered the app as an automatic update. And so this starts off super slow. It's like 0.1% the first day and then half a percent the next day, then maybe 1%, and then it sort of ramps up from there. But the thing that is sort of key to keep in your mind when you're thinking of this is it isn't that that's the percent of people who will get the app. That is only the percent of people who will be offered automatic app updates. That's sort of the ramp for that. 100% of new users get the latest version and 100% of people who manually update the apps in their app store app will get the new version. Right. And that's, that's something that I didn't realize. Like that's, that's the key differentiator right there is like, so, and and so what that means, so 
100 percent of new users that's great for press and for you know any kind of promotion you're doing um and then so when you say automatic update what that means is that if anybody goes to the app store app on their phone and goes to the updates tab wherever it's buried this year um it'll be there from day one but it but it won't automatically update itself like so they could they could tap update in the list it'll be there on day one but it won't automatically update until their their number is drawn basically yeah okay and and i think that difference changes a lot of the dynamics because a like you're saying it's once you hit you know ready for sale in app store connect you release it to the app store no no person will ever get a previous version of that app again so it's like you've created this clear dividing line so like from that point on any download that of that app that is happening is going to be the new version so you don't need to worry from a press perspective or something that ever was anyone's ever going to get the old version um and so that's a good thing from a press perspective and it's a good thing from like your server's perspective because it, in this case you would expect the vast majority of users won't immediately run and go and download the app and the number of new daily users while you would hope that having press people in you know people in publications talking about your application, you would get a bunch of, you know, a spike in downloads. That spike is likely not going to overwhelm the size of the existing user base. And so it'll be gentler on your servers. Um, and so that was just something that it was, a, it was an interesting, because I think I used to think of it in the same way that you, I think you were thinking of that. It's like, if you did the phased rollout that you still could have people who were downloading the old version, but that is that is in fact not the case. Doesn't seem to be how it works, and so we're safe to essentially. I do all my rollouts as slow rollouts now because there's very little downside um, to doing it that way. I think the only time I've ever done a fast rollout recently was when it was a sort of a bug fix release that was fixing kind of a really bad bug that I didn't want you know out in the out in the world anymore. And so as soon as I was. It was a sort of defensive thing. But as long as it's not that case, if it isn't kind of like the emergency bug fix, the old version is, you know, accidentally deleting people's like profiles or something horrible. Um, do a slow rollout. It's sort of safe and good and works pretty well as a result. And, and do I remember correctly? I, cause I did it once a long time ago. Do I remember correctly that like if, if, you know, a few days in, you're like, you know what? Everything's fine. You can, there's a button you can hit that just releases it to everybody instantly. Yes. And there are, there are actually two buttons. So there's one that you can say just, release it to everybody. And it'll just, from that point on, it'll, you know, sort of at the usual rate that whatever it is Apple offers automatic updates, everyone will get it. it and the other option you can do is to pause the rollout. Um, and that will sort of cap the percent at whatever it had gotten to. So if you say you're two days into it and it's gone, you know, the percent for the release is now at 2% of people will be offered automatic downloads. You hit pause, it'll just stay at 2% indefinitely, or I think it's not indefinitely, it's maybe, oh, you can do that for up to two weeks or something along those lines. And so you also have the option then from a bug perspective, like I've definitely pushed that button once or twice where I release an update, I discover a little bug, something I want to fix. It's not like this catastrophic thing, but I can pause the rollout in the meantime while I fix it, while it goes through app review, and then before it gets replaced. Um, so it does, you know, so that bug won't propagate nearly as far. It'll still be unfortunately shown to all my new users and it will be shown to, in this case, you know, 2% of existing users, but it will be much slower and lower than it would be if I'd sort of done a big rollout. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And so what that means is, so, if you're like you know in the middle of a rollout, whether it's paused or not, you can still upload new versions and and have them approved and everything, and it works. 
Yep, it works totally fine. And it's essentially once the once you have a version that's ready for sale, that's the you know the the ongoing version, regardless of how its rollout status is. And then you can just add new versions like you would typically. You can have them go through app review, and then you'll have the option to release the new version or you know hold it for you know pending developer release, depending on the, what makes sense for you. That's really good to know. <laughs> now that you tell me like more about how this works, now I I think I'm with you that like that probably makes sense to do for almost every update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are very few soundless. So at this point, the only downside that I'm really aware of was this relates to some of the A-B testing stuff we've talked about in the last few weeks. And that is because of that, if you add new behavior into your application that you're going to be A-B testing, um, that behavior will, will be dominated by new users, um, new downloads of the app for the first, you know, whatever, the first week of, oh. um, of the app update being out there. Because that functionality, 100% of new users have it. And, you know, whatever, 2% of existing users have it. And so depending on, depending on the ratio of those numbers, you could potentially have this kind of skew. And so I would have these things where I was running an A-B test and I thought, oh, wow, this, but this, this, you know, this new paywall is performing amazingly. And it turns out paywalls perform better for new users than for existing users, which is sort of in some ways, notionally makes sense to me that a new user is much more excited and much more likely to convert just than yeah, they're going to be exploring around the app yeah, and stuff. They're exploring around. They're they're it's it's a much higher sort of conversion activity. And so I'd roll out this new paywall. The first few days it performs amazingly. I'm like, yay, this is great. It's going to be you know everything's going to be awesome. And then it just it sort of immediately plateaus as in sort of in the exact shape of the rollout curve. And it's like <laughs> oh, right. So I haven't actually you know sort of. So somehow revolutionized my paywall. I've made a marginal improvement and it's just, I'm observing this. And so if you are running any kind of testing behavior or if you're seeing weird statistics, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind that if you're doing a slow rollout the first week or so, it's going to be very skewed towards new users uh, who have access to that new feature. And so be careful about the conclusions that you draw. That's really interesting. I am so happy that you exist and share your knowledge. This is, this is stuff that like, I would never have thought to try most of these things on my own, let alone realize things like that, you know, statistical anomaly that of, you know, new users, you know, overweighting things in the first week like that. I would never have thought of that. <laughs> that's that's very good to know. I'm, I'm delighted to share it. Um, <laughs> and the other little mini topic that I wanted to, to talk about here was just a, a realization that I had recently that is one of these things of like the everything old is new again kind of a thing where, you know, almost every Mac app um, that I've ever used in its menu bar or, will the rightmost menu. What is that called? Help. Help. It's called help. In almost every Mac app, there's a, there's a, there's a section called help. And, that, and that's there for a reason. That's there to help, help users explore and understand how to use your application. Yet I think almost every iOS application has no help. Has no help whatsoever. Just like, just it isn't something that we do. It isn't something we think about. It isn't something in Apple's own apps that you know. Like if you like the phone app doesn't have help in it. The it just there's there's the what is it the 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 hints app or something like that that Apple ships tips with. tips tips hints you know like because that. you know because tips has itself opted into notifications. <laughs> so <laughs> on new setups, you always get notifications from tips. Yeah. Which is like sort of a way to do this. But anyway, it is something that I recently, like the next build of Widgetsmith, I'm elevating help into its own tab. So the app currently has four tabs. It is going to have five. And the fifth one is going to be help. And I'm kind of excited to try this out and to see where this goes. 
And this is coming from an experience I had um, with Widget Smith where I, you know, in doing my customer support and having frequently asked questions and in terms of instrumenting my frequently asked questions that I can see which questions most people are having trouble with, you know, in terms of which are in my frequently asked questions when you tap to expand the answer, I record that. And so I can get a sense of proportionally which questions are most interested. And it was kind of sad to me that the, the most popular questions were like, how do I configure a widget? How do I add a widget to my home screen? Which is fundamental. Like that is all widget Smith is. If you don't know how to do those two things, the app is completely useless to you. So I've completely failed you if you don't know how to do that. Um, and so I added a new sort of, it's not, it's not quite onboarding in the sense of like a walkthrough, but I've structured, restructured the main screen of widget Smith now. So that when you first install the app, until you've configured your first widget, there's this very prominent banner at the top that says, learn how to configure your widget. And so you tap that and it gives you this animated walkthrough. And as soon as you've configured it, it goes away and is replaced by how to add widgets to your home screen. And once you've added it to your widget, I can detect that and I can make the banner go away. And so I've kind of like trying to walk you through um, this experience. Um, and that's actually been really, really effective that ever since, since I rolled that out, this was probably about two weeks ago, I've seen a precipitous drop in A, the number of people who are opening the frequently asked questions, so fewer people have questions. And then of the questions that people are asking are now the questions that I kind of want them to be asking, the kind of more power user nuanced things where it's a bit complicated and there's something I can do or it's a, you know, a choice that I've made or things like that. Like those are the questions that I understand to some degree are always going to be there. But how to fundamentally use the application should not be a question that anyone has. And because that was, that was so successful, I've now moved that into its own tab. And now it's a place that everyone will be able to see and hopefully create less confusion that it isn't, you know, if, if you have questions, there's an obvious place to go and get it. And I can surface this information to you. Um, and it's like, I'll see, I, it's a bit too early to, to, to report back on exactly how it's going. But based on my experience with doing the sort of onboarding side, I have a suspicion this will ultimately be really a, a positive, good thing that will, um, you know, sort of help more of my users be a, sort of know, know, know what's coming and know how best to use the app and sort of bounce off of it a lot less. Because the last thing I want is to, if I've gotten you all the way to through the app store process, through the marketing process, you've downloaded the app, you open it, you don't know what to do. And you, if you then close the app and delete it, like that is a giant fail on, on my part. And I need to do everything I can to keep you in it to at least try it. And if you try it and you don't use it, that's fine. But if you don't try it because you don't understand it, that's, that's a big problem for me. Yeah, that's, man, look at, here you are making more work for the rest of us again by making sense and trying yeah. things that work and <laughs> showing us like, oh, we sure. should really be doing X, Y, Z. Because <laughs> no, this, this is something I, I, you almost never see iOS apps with help. I mean, heck, you, you hardly ever see Mac apps with help anymore. You know, that's a, a, almost anything designed or, you know, shipped by independent developers or just anything from from recent companies that, you know, they, they don't really care about this kind of stuff. Um, you almost never see this anymore because making good help, you know, it's it's a form of documentation and, and making documentation is a ton of work. And to do it to do it well you really need like you know specialized you know skills you need you know, people who are good at technical writing and it's a lot of work if you ever want to integrate things like screenshots um, or any kind of like video even of little clips of how to do stuff like that's all tons of work you have to update it over time as your app or or the look of it change over time like it's a huge amount of work to do this well and so i've never even thought about it and people have emailed me 
frequently some you know i, I would maybe not like you know more, i'm not talking like every day or every week but maybe once a month or so i get an email from somebody saying is there any help available on the app or you know where is there a guide somewhere is there is you know where where can i find help and i've always thought those requests were kind of odd because you know in mobile that doesn't really seem to exist in a in a consistent way um, or it's just like you know here's a link to our website knowledge base which is usually not very helpful um, so I've never even thought of doing this, but but I think now that you're saying, I'm like, you know, I have had requests for that before, and the, you know, I, there's probably a lot of people out there who look for it and don't find it, and who I don't hear from, uh, and so I I I think you might be onto something here. Well, and I think the thing that I would say too is I think I was intimidated in this, all the same reasons that you were just this, like like doing it well is difficult and being comprehensive or updating it and those kinds of things can make it feel really big and scary. But I think what I found in this, from this experience was that I got a huge benefit from just spending a little time on the, like, the absolute core experience of the application and providing help for that and not worrying necessarily too much about providing a lot of documentation or information for the more esoteric features. So like in widgets methods, configure a widget, add it to your home screen. If I can communicate that, I'm winning. It's like in, in Overcast, it would be like, find a podcast play a podcast like if you are using the app like if you open the app and you don't know how to do that you're completely stuck and so i think identifying some very core behaviors some very core user paths and making sure that there's sort of help information about those is go a long way because i think the nice thing is users are it's like they're they're smart people they can once they have that basic path starting to branch off of it and doing, you know, the more customizable options or getting more advanced in their use, that's something they will naturally want to explore. But the last thing I want is for someone to feel foolish, feel like they don't get it. This, you know, this app's too complicated for them and to move on. And so optimize for that core experience, I think it will give you, gives you huge leverage at a relatively sort of low cost in terms of the amount of time effort to build and maintain um, that kind of core help experience. I hate to admit it, but you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.